Um, my whole thing about like not wanting to have a name. What's that? Not wanting to have a name. Not wanting to have a name. Mm-hmm. For like, in general, because it's like this idea that if I have a name, do I am I like playing into my ego, saying that I am so different than every other human on this earth that oh. like my name is Nick. Oh my <laughs> god! That what is value does that give? Existentialist shit, right there. Right. I was like, uh, wow. Okay, I might, I might use that before the intro music just to like capture <laughs> what this conversation is going to be like. Well, fuck it. Okay, let's just go for it then. I have with me today for this series of episodes, Nick Sanchez, LMFT, which is licensed marriage and family therapist. And he focuses specifically on existential humanism and existential humanistic practices. Say hello, Nick. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Um, I am excited today because when we had a, our check-in conversation before this, I just, it struck me how many parts of life this particular subject reaches mm. into. Mm-hmm. It feels so much like if people understood even a sliver of this particular, I'm going to say framework. Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. framework and there's a philosophy, right? They're, they're yeah, connected sure. They're because in the same way that existentialism and humanism are not the same thing, but they connect in this really fascinating and beautiful way. Oh, I say beautiful, mm-hmm. but I'm a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> a very cool way. How about that? Yeah. A very sure. fascinating way. Um, and I'm looking forward specifically to talking about how mm-hmm. certain fundamental human drives mm-hmm affect our life in ways that we don't anticipate unless we reflect on them. And then we go like, Oh yeah, that's that. That's that thing kicking up or that's that yeah. whatever going on. Exactly. And, and before we jump you know, headlong into any of that, I think it'd be great if you could give us just a couple minutes about uh, who you are, where you came from, like how you came to study this at all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So man, how did I even fall into this? Um, I've always been like an old soul. So like my mom has always told me this, all the girlfriends I've ever had. Um, it's always been like, you are old. So even when I was 16, it's like, why you're, you're like a 50 year old inside of the 16 year old body. Um, I've always had this just idea of like thinking about bigger topics, thinking deeper about things. Um, like I don't operate in a surface level area. I'm always below the surface level, just kind of tends to where I go. Um, my short story about how I found it though, was like, I was really heavily involved with music. And what I found that when I was playing music, it really put me into like this state of flow. But, like you hear a lot of people talking about really just like, I'm present, but I'm also not present because of how present I am. It's like, I literally was not thinking about anything. Um, I was just here performing, connecting with people around me, connecting with myself, connecting with like rhythm, music. Um, and it really kind of set me down this path of wanting to explore how do I like have this connection with numerous people? How do I have this like deeper meaning, deeper understanding of myself, how I'm experiencing things, how other people are experiencing it. Um, and I actually like fast forward, you know, 10, 12 years, I ended up taking this, uh, it was exist. No, what was it called? Existential phenomenological psychology class at De Anza community college. And it just like blew my mind. And I was like, ah, this has so many answers and not even answers, but just like, like you said, framework to what I'm trying to understand. And it just sent me down this huge path and doors open. I met people and here I am now. 
Yeah, that's that's so very cool. I'm glad you brought up your performance and music backgrounds because mm-hmm. uh, I, I was thinking that that's the thing that we have in common. And, and I, I, I think that there is a, a, a whole world present, uh, both in the creation of art, whether it be music or, you know, whatever the medium, you know, uh, yeah, whatever performance art, fine art, et cetera, both in the preparation of it, but then also specifically performance art in the actual performing of it and how it puts mm. a person into a, an altered state of consciousness. And I don't mean that in some crazy, silly, cheesy way. Um, I mean that in just a very literal, <clears throat> if someone has ever played the piano as part of a performance, there is, or, or danced, that was me growing up, yeah. you know, or, um, what have you choose cho- your be acting you you are both in the role and out of the role simultaneously mm-hmm. and and there is metacognition or flow or whatever there's certain amount yeah. of anxiety or no anxiety because you've so totally surrendered to the moment or there's mm. this whole microcosm of reality that occurs in this condensed period of time mm. um, that i think is really really fascinating. I wouldn't even have thought to connect that to existential humanism. And then you brought yeah. up, oh, I will right. not be surprised if this comes up later in in a different context. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, yeah. But I wish wouldn't be surprised uh, now that we've kind of laid that. Yeah. Like, and me. like something that's really cool that when you talked about music that I, and like even dance per se, like you have like the idea of arts, right? So even like paintings and whatnot. Um, it's like universal. It's like, even though I may be listening to, you know, like Afro Cuban music that has some insane rhythms, like I may not be able to understand like lyrics that are being said over it and whatnot, but it's like music usually just like, you know, puts out this overall feeling that you understand, you know, it's like, even if I'm listening to something that is in French and it has a piano, I can usually pick up like what is going on just by the music, which is something that I really identified with because music it connects everyone together without necessarily having it's universal pretty much. Right. It's like this universal connection that we have. And when I started exploring these more existential topics, I was like, Oh crap. Like this is the universal like concerns of humanity. This isn't just for the wealthy. This isn't just for the people that are impoverished countries. Like this is literally everyone fits under this framework and this way of thinking. Well, let's, let's just jump into that directly then. Um, for, so for those who aren't familiar with, uh, existential humanism, if we give them, if you give them just a brief overview of that, the philosophy and the framework, and then I think it would be natural to go into what you just said, there's kind of a set of fundamental, um, concerns Mm. that, that are part of our human experience as you were explaining to me. And I would love for people to understand that a little bit more. Definitely. Um, so let's start with existential humanistic quite a bit to bite off. Uh, so I'll be referring to it as EH throughout this. So EH is existential humanistic. Um, <clears throat> so EH has two components to it. You have the existential part and then you have the humanistic part. So the humanistic part is going to be more of, um, I would say what's going to be like grounding, right? So when we're using existential, it's kind of gets very heady. It's very philosophical. We start thinking about these like larger than life almost topics where the humanistic aspect is going to be much more about let's ground ourselves, let's bring us into the present moment. Um, So for example, humanistic things that can happen during like a therapy session that I'm having could be something like, hey, what's going on when you were talking about this? I noticed that your speech increased, the rate of your speech increased, Um, you know, fluctuations in your voice, the tone of your voice may have happened. Um, 
could be small things like, oh, I noticed you cross your legs when you meant that, right? And it's not necessarily like, oh, there's super meaning behind that because this actually happened, but it's just bringing the person aware of like, oh, like, was there something there? Was there something my body was trying to tell me while I was having this very heady type of way of thinking? Um, It also brings us into the here and now. So it's going to make us focus on, okay, even if I'm thinking about, you know, this idea about death or this idea about anxieties of the universe, like I'm still very much grounded in this present moment because what's happening right now is things like my speech increasing, me crossing my legs, me crossing my arms when I'm talking about things. Mm -hmm. Also going to be very... um, welcoming so really viewing the person as a person not thinking that they are someone else or it's like oh if we've had similar experiences we're going to like have seen it the same way we're going to have felt it the same way um and really having this idea of like unconditional positive regards like really just truly being with someone appreciating them and really loving them for who they are you know whether you come to me and you say i need to meet with you because i killed someone yesterday it's really finding that sense of compassion about like you are still a human innate that like you want to be good and we may have got lost along that way like you are still here you are still trying to get that help per se um so the existential part is going to be more dealing with these like higher ideas right so a lot of times you may go to therapy or like right now you hear some like really um hot buzzwords or like cbt dbt type of thing um these are going to be more like very symptom relief so it's going to be like okay here's a tool like a thought challenging tool to do it where existential is going to be more of let me hold in these ideas about anxiety let me hold these ideas about like what is my purpose what is my meaning in life so they they you know doesn't necessarily mean i'm begging that question during therapy or like asking someone directly what is your purpose in life but more so just being like okay it's like how is this small maybe minute decision that we're talking about actually impacting this greater idea of like you know, I have X amount of time on earth. I was born and I am dying. And how is this going to impact like my current decisions? Yeah, it's interesting because two two things that I think are, are particularly interesting in this conversation. Uh, one, generally existentialism. And you also brought up a term I really love, unconditional positive regard, uh, which I, I think is so valuable just as we as humans kind of deconstruct our relationships with other people and and how we produce suffering for ourselves when we don't regard others positively. Mm-hmm. We, we actually increase our suffering, decrease our capacity to connect, which increases our suffering further and, and keeps us from solving problems. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to the, the notion of uh, agape, which is more universal love, which is a different yeah. concept, but being in, in, in agape, being a state of agape, I like, I would refer to it that way, you know, being in this kind of state uh, increases the likelihood of having uh, this unconditional positive regard. Um, yeah. And there was some type of um, practice. I can't remember if it was agape or not. I'm not too familiar with it, but it was like this idea of like, in order to really create a change in someone else, because we are all connected on this like higher sense of like higher, just conscious level of being, I actually need to reflect and change that part of myself because if I'm getting activated by that person, it's because of something in me. And if I work on that, it ultimately absolutely impacts them because I've changed that part of me. Yeah. Generally speaking, I, I, I don't know whether or not that would be connected explicitly to agape since I, I don't have like a explicit practice around that. Um, I'll, I can just speak for myself to say that um, for me, agape, universal love, meaning that I love all people, like even someone who someone else would see as hateful or or have hate for them, um, mm-hmm. 
I, I would not, even if I agreed with all the reasons why that had hate for them and I connected and resonated with all those reasons, I still wouldn't hate the person. Yeah. I accept my, my judgment. I accept my, um, my potential frustrations, et cetera, but it wouldn't rise to the level of hate ever. And, and, and that to, to your point about uh, acceptance, I love saying that, uh, be, because I think it's true that all judgment is self judgment. And so when, mm. to your point about needing, if something is triggered in me, then there's something for me to be aware of in interaction with that person. Uh, something they're reflecting back to me, whether it's a judgment I have, even if it's not a problem that I have, yeah. I, I may never do X behavior, but I judge that person for X behavior because I was raised to believe that X behavior was bad. So yeah. now it's an opportunity for me to reflect how bad X behavior really is. Mm, God. And it may be that I still believe that X behavior is bad upon reflection. Yeah. Uh, so now I have a choice whether or not to be mad that they are doing X or not. Yeah. I can maintain my discernment that, that that's not as valuable as mm. behavior Y. Gotcha. Yeah. But... Mm. It's yeah, it's interesting because like technically like all behaviors are valuable, right? And right. like it's weird societal norms or like even you know, putting these boundaries on things. Like even the worst of behaviors could potentially be like I don't know, very interesting. I mean, you can talk about like the Holocaust all day, like the, what the Doctor of Death, whatever his name was. And there's like tons of going back and forth between his studies and like his behaviors, which led to like these leaps and bounds of medical advancement. But the way that it was you know founded was all these horrific ways of being. Hey, y'all, just want to take a quick break in the action, let you know that if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please do recommend it to a friend. I would love to expand my audience, and the best ways to do that are word of mouth and reviewing my podcast on the iTunes Apple podcast platform. If you'd like to leave me a voice comment, go over to anchor.fm slash educate for life, anchor.fm slash educate the number four life. It might even end up in the show. For more information about what I'm up to, please check out my website, www.educate4.life. That's educate, the number four, dot life. Now, back to the show. Right. I think it's important to understand that value can be interpreted multiple ways. And so when you're saying all behaviors have value, I'm interpreting that to mean that literal, like, in the same way that you can hire a hitman, there's an exchange of value when you give money to that hitman, right? The yeah. person who's hired the hitman sees it as valuable to kill another human exactly. being. So it's in a literal way, everything yeah. has value. When kids act out or when kids hit other kids, in that moment, that action has value to them, whether it garners mm-hmm. them attention or whether mm-hmm. it gives them a sense of security because they were physically able to defend themselves, defend themselves yeah. with marks, you know, strike first so that you're not vulnerable. That is an act of value. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all behaviors communicate a need. Mm-hmm. All behaviors exactly. communicate a need. And there's more than one way to get that need met. Mm. Um, but that's the way that they know to communicate. That was huge transformative for me when I was watching yeah. my students in the classroom, like mm. every behavior communicates a need. Is there a way for me to address the child's need so that that behavior can be minimized because mm. that is b- disruptive to them and it's not actually serving them. Mm. And then once I'm able to focus on meeting the need, suddenly the behavior shifts and it allows me to communicate to the child 
I understand that you wanted blank because we figured that out together now that that's what you wanted or that's what you needed was blank. Now that we've addressed that need, I could say in the future, I would love it if you could do Y for me. Yeah. And then I will be able to cue in much faster that this is what your need is. You can get your need met. It's not disruptive to your fellow students. Um, and it's ultimately positive for you. How do you feel about that? And, mm-hmm. and they, they're like, I think that's great. I, I, I will absolutely do that. It's like fantastic. Yeah. And they may not do it the, the next time, but then I can remind exactly. them, remember we had that conversation? And, and yeah. I've learned that this is your need when you do this. Yay. Mm-hmm. Good on me. Good on you. We, we've built that. And then now I can remind you, remember you can do why instead. And then, yeah, exactly. And from then on, they do why. And then suddenly they're happier. The kids around them are happier. The classroom right. is more functional. Yeah. Um, so being conscientious of that, I think, is really yeah. valuable. Yeah. And it brings up this other idea kind of for me. Um, it's like when we talk about drive, right. And so like Freud, you know, being like the father of psychology, very old school, um, his like biggest drive, like the reason why we act, what's driving us to be, what's driving us to change is like sex. It's like his whole thing, like everything had to do and like revolve around sex. Right. So we're all rocking around trying to get these certain needs filled. And it was usually like a sex driven type of ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been kind of interesting because existential eh came after existential but like even existential when that like started and when it was starting to be found it had this different idea of really viewing everything as like being anxious so not necessarily having these like drives per se like sex but it's just like you were walking around with having this anxiety towards different of these four ultimate concerns that they call them an existential psychotherapy um and really what was interesting about that is just this idea of really coming in from a place of not even trying to diagnose someone so not saying that you know oh, okay you are depressed because you fit the dsm's criteria of a b c d one two three four so now you have this diagnosis and this is what you are right so and when you come into this existential humanistic view eh view of it it's going to be a lot more of like we are humans i would hope and this is me personally too like i would hope that we are more complex as humans that i cannot be fit into one box and i cannot fit my clients into one box so if I say like, wow, we could sit here, go through the DSM and you fit all of the criteria to meet major depression today. Tomorrow, I am sure as hell that you can also meet the criteria for like generalized anxiety, right? I would like to think that as humans, we go through different phases. We got daily, weekly, monthly basis. And again, it kind of, and this isn't more saying like there is no use for like this medical model or this like use of diagnosing people, but really the existential idea is like, how do I just see you as a human? And everything is viewed as like having an anxiety towards these four concerns. So even if someone was per se depressed, like clinically depressed, and like that's what their diagnosis was, that would be seen as a symptom of one of the anxiety. So say that they are anxious about death, right? So like death anxiety is one of the ultimate concerns. They could be showing as depressed, having symptoms of depression, not getting out of bed, you know, having suicidal ideations and thoughts. And the way that I would see that and like hold the framework for it from an EH perspective would be like, okay, so is this around like your understanding and view of death? And you're actually anxious about your own death, usually because maybe someone like has died around you, who knows what kind of like brought that up and made it start trickle. And one of the symptoms from that is this depression that you are now experiencing. Right. So one thing I want to touch on really quickly, if people are not familiar with existential philosophy generally. Uh, and then from there, I'd very much love to talk about the four concerns explicitly. Um, mm-hmm. 
So for me, in my very, very, very cursory exposure to existentialism through uh, literature and philosophy, just literally it was like brought up as part of a summary idea of philosophy and moved on. So I expect my understanding to be incredibly elementary, <laughs> very, very low level. Um, but essentially, existence simply is. That's, that's kind of the core of existentialism. And so a lot of what we assign to living is mm-hmm. in fact that assigned it's not inherent and mm-hmm. so therefore life is in fact inherently meaningless mm-hmm. and it is it is biological drives and other things that are acting upon us that are giving us this notion of meaning and mm-hmm. so some people then become nihilistic and are just like and therefore life sucks it is pain and is nothing and therefore why why be specifically concerned about anything in life and then other people yeah. Are more constructive. It's kind of like postmodernism. Where there's de- destructive exactly. postmodernism and constructive postmodernism. Exactly. The constructive side uh, is uh, therefore I can make my own meaning and I will choose to consciously engage in my life and do so. Exactly. Which from our conversation, specifically in existential humanism, is where humanism kind of comes in and cradles that existential yeah. philosophy and goes, "Here, let me help you with that challenge. Exactly. <laughs> let, me you, let me help you produce that meaning in a way that yeah. is constructive and valuable and useful to you." Yeah, um, that's totally uh, what is it? Uh, Nietzsche is like a super depressing. Like, if you read any of his work, it's very much like you said, where it's like, well, then, like, what is the point per se? And it's just like, well, crap, like, that's a hard way to live the next like 50 plus years of my life. Like, thinking yeah. that. And I'm sure someone who's like really versed in nihilism or really versed in existentialism would come in and say, Ryan, you didn't quite that have that new, those nuances, right? It's, it's really more of this. And I, and I, I accept that if anyone wants to, you know, jump on anchor.fm slash educate for the number four life, educate for life and, and send me a voice message. I would be so happy mm-hmm. to create that into a future message, uh, a future episode, rather your message into a future episode. Yeah. If you have a more well-defined description of those things. That yeah. You and I think with. like a small tangent really fast. Um, I just read this um, passage in a book and it was talking about existential theory and it was talking about how like there are as many types of existential psychotherapy as there are clinicians and the idea and like one of the reasons why it's almost like um for any of the nerds out there including myself um, <laughs> it's like we're like we're, we're like the jedi it's like really in the eh in the existential world it's like we're the jedi is carrying on this you know and it's not old it's actually fairly new but it's like carrying on this really specific way that's kind of like challenging a lot of like the medical model type of psychotherapies and whatnot. And so there's like a dying few of us like really trying to get the message out there because of like the profound impact it had. But I think like something really important just to touch on that is like there really isn't any right or wrong. And I remember first like seeking out these studies and be like, oh, if I buy this book or like, you know, if I read X amount of books and then I go to this training and then I study under this person, I'll know. I am like an EH therapist. I know exactly what to do. And one of the first things, you know, my when I was understudying this other guy named Kirk Schneider, who I still meet with, um, and his his like famous thing is like, you need to like make this about yourself. Like EH is just a theory, and then you need to create it for Nick. And like Nick's version of EH therapy is the therapy that's going to work for you because there is no right way to do it. It's holding these ideas, these really complicated ways of thinking and then how do i implement that in you know a tangible and easy way for my clients and there's there's so much overlap with postmodernism it's absolutely ridiculous so just the mm-hmm. deconstructing assumed meaning and then reconstructing it for yourself right. so that it's useful if useful for you and 
how that informs your life and your personal philosophy and then how you're able to mediate your communication with others now that you've mm -hmm. taken the time to deconstruct and reconstruct that for you. Um, exactly. For my personal experience that came out of my depression and mm. in recovery from my depression, there was so much of, of my understanding of the world that was deconstructed by the simple chemical experience of my depression uh, mm -hmm. that when I then consciously reconstructed it, uh, there was a freedom there that uh, I wouldn't have had, frankly, if I hadn't gone through, through that traumatic yeah. experience. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate awesome. that my trauma was way, 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 way low on the scale compared to other people's trauma that allowed me right. to learn that lesson. So thank you universe, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. And I think like you definitely hit it on the head. It's usually like large ruptures, whether it be my clients, even my life, like when I have my existential crises, you know, which happened like on a more frequent basis than I would like. Um, but it's like, oh, like usually something happened, whether that be someone dying, whether it be like losing a job, starting a new job, it could be even positive, but like still some like weird life change that usually causes you to be like, oh, so for example, I could take the happiest thing, you know, for people, whether it be like having a kid, whether it be like getting married and perfect example. So like watching my dog play at the beach and just like watching the pure joy that comes across her face playing with other dogs being around the ocean and whatnot it's like where my existential brain goes is like wow like what is it going to be like when she passes away like what is that going to look like what does death like feel like how do i like live every moment to really appreciate what she has right and it's like just such a weird way of being because though some people may take that as like dude you're depressed you should probably go talk to someone actually like a very for me at least and this is how i try and help my clients like that positive reframe view of like how do you use that to just like hurl you forward and really take advantage of the here and now really take advantage of like loving life living life being like not even just satisfied but just being like great with where you are next time on educate for life with ryan francis yeah, that makes me want to go on a whole tangent about liminal experiences. I, and I think I'll put a pin in that and see if, if we c come back around to it. Because the thing we still haven't talked about that I think is fundamental for people to understand, as you explained it to me, is these four major concerns. Yes. These big yes. four in like fundamentally how we are wired um, and how that affects us from an existential humanistic perspective. So I would love it if you could just briefly go through those big four concerns and how they affect us on a day to day. Hey again, thanks for listening. If you want more goodness, come hang out with me on Instagram at educate for underscore life. That's educate the number four underscore life. I jump on almost every day and go live once per week to answer questions and just talk about what's on my mind. We've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe. So expect some announcements in the near future. And with that, I hope you have a great week. Talk with you soon.